You know, I'd just like to start with a, a personal note, personal comment. I've had the, uh, the opportunity now to preach a few times, and I get to again tonight. And I just so enjoy doing it, and I just really appreciate the, the privilege and ability to do that. I'd, I'm up here because I want to speak, and I'm up here because I want to share. And what I'm not up here to do is to tell any of you guys what to do. <laughs> and I'm not up here to tell you guys what you can't do. And that is kind of exactly what we're going to be talking about as we pick up our tale in Colossians, because Paul is really letting the people of Colossae know that what's important is Jesus and not what other people are telling them that they need to do or not do. So let's dig into that, but first, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful day, and thank you for bringing all of us here today, God. Thank you for this chance to speak and I pray, Lord, that it would be your words, that your voice would come out of me. I thank you so much for that, God. In your name, we pray. So we're continuing on in Colossians. We're in chapter 2. And it's Colossians 2, 16 through 23. It's the, it's the second half of the chapter, which we had gone through last week. So first, let's go ahead and read uh, all the way through this section, and then we'll, we'll come back and pick these up in pieces. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that will perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence 
of the flesh. So this passage starts with, therefore, so clearly it's a call back. It's, a, it's referring back directly to what happened in the first half of the chapter. So last week we heard from Paul, Pastor Paul, Paul Jones, a story and an analogy of something that came at the new building of looking into the electrical box and seeing a mass of open wires and the inspector saying, if you touch that, you will die. Whoo! That is a warning, right? And so Paul last week, in his letter, Paul in his letter, in the first half of the letter, was also issuing a warning like that. He was saying that if you get things wrong in the matter of salvation, if uh, in following Christ, you're getting things all the way wrong. He was saying, do not be led astray by philosophies or half-truths or things that people do, like circumcision, that would potentially be some kind of a substitute for believing in Jesus, believing in Christ. Because Christ was fully God in his human form when he died. He was innocent, but he made that sacrifice. And he claimed all authority in that. So when we choose to follow him and die to the world and we're born again in baptism, we're liberated from the ways of the world. We're alive in Christ and no longer under those regulations. Now that was a lot, obviously. That was last week's sermon. <laughs> but now we're caught up. And this passage begins, Therefore, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So don't let, let people pass judgment on you. And based on what? So food and drink. You know, the, the people who are receiving this letter and in those days... Uh, the Jewish establishment, they had a, a lot of rules about food and drink they, uh, that came directly um, from God in the law, but also was added to by traditions. Uh, there were certain animals that are unclean all the time that you can't eat. Also, food sacrificed to idols, that was a no-go. And if you, got, if you yourself were ceremoniously, ceremonially unclean at the time, then you couldn't eat. And that was, that was more than just washing your hands. That was going through you know, a, a rhythm of different things. But we heard a story in Mark where Jesus was talking to a crowd and he was explaining that people are not defiled by what they bring into their stomach, but they're defiled by what comes out of their heart. And so how could 
something that you eat that goes into your stomach that you pass out again, how could that be a source of defilement when that doesn't enter your heart? So Jesus made and declared foods clean. And then they talk about festivals. So there's lots of holidays kind of throughout the year and many uh, very specific ways that they are supposed to celebrate festivals. It talks about the new moon, and really that's about uh, how the month is seen. So in those days, they would have a new month as soon as there's a new moon. And with the coming of the new month, there were sacrifices to be made and, and dues to be paid in a very specific way. And of course, the Sabbath is the, the weekly day of rest, and that matches the rest that God took at the end of creation. And again, that is something that was provided, that was called by the law, the Sabbath. But there was a day that Jesus was out gathering grain with uh, some of his disciples on the Sabbath, and some folks called him out on that. And he made it clear at that time that Sabbath was made for man, that man was not made for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Hmm. There's an endangered missing person. I'm going to stop and pray right now. <laughs> Lord, I don't know anything about the endangered missing person that we all just got notified about. But Lord, we pray for their safety. We pray that they would be found or they would be saved, that they would be rescued. Whatever it is that they are in right now, God, we pray that you would send help in whatever form they need, Lord. Amen. So God was not saying that getting announcements in the middle of your sermon is bad necessarily, but what he was saying is that things like Yep, we're going to pick right up here. Things like the things that you eat every day, your daily food and drink, or things like the festivals and holidays that you have throughout the year, how the month starts and what things you need to do at the beginning of the month, or even how you rest on the weekends. God is not saying that any of those things are bad. What he's saying is that no one should pass judgment on you if you're doing those things not in exactly the way that they think. And that's because these things are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. And I just love that image of, like, Jesus. I see Jesus, like, standing in the timeline, 
like standing in the metaphysical timeline and his shadow is being cast backwards, but he's the substance. He's standing there right at the time of the cross. And all those things that, you know, the law said that people should do, those were all foreshadowing. And those were all showing what he would do, what he would fulfill when he fulfilled the law with his sacrifice. So moving on, in verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Disqualify you. You're disqualified. You jumped the gun. Your foot moved on the line of scrimmage. Your play is over before it begins. Disqualified. You're done before you start. Some other translations talk about rob you of your prize or cheat you of your reward. Paul's saying don't let people preempt you and say that you're not eligible based on what? Disqualify you insisting, insisting, requiring, demanding. Insisting on what? Interesting list here, actually. First one is asceticism. I still can't spell that, by the way. In my notes, it always comes out differently. And sometimes in some of the translations, it doesn't even use that big fancy word. It just says false humility or will worship. But asceticism is basically what he's saying or talking about is uh, denying physical things to oneself in search of spiritual enlightenment. Okay, we'll talk more about that later. The second thing on this list is worship of angels. Worship of angels. Are we saying that we couldn't, shouldn't have those coffee cups with like cute babies and wings on them? Like, what are we, what are we talking about? And actually, it turns out that uh, scholars have been kind of arguing about this one for hundreds of years because in the original language that this was written, worship of angels was ambiguous because we don't know if they're talking about people worshiping angels or if we're talking about the way that angels worship. So worship of angels, it's ambiguous in our English also. And it may be some combination of those two. And then also on the list is going on in detail about visions. Other translations say delighting in visions or intruding into uh, with things that are unseen, claiming things that are unseen. And that's an interesting list, but again, Paul's not saying that those things are bad necessarily. He's just specifically saying that those are not required, that we should not be disqualified by anyone insisting on those things. You know, it's hard to know or trust other people's discipline or their worship or visions that they claim to have. Because maybe those are from God, maybe they're not. It's hard to know. These things are personal. 
how disciplined we are, how we worship, what visions we have that we get from God. These are very personal things. In this letter, Paul is saying that his readers should not let anyone lord it over them about those things. Just like he said that people shouldn't accept judgment about what they eat or drink or how they spent their Saturdays or their holidays. He's saying there are no secret paths, no magic decodering, no passwords or handshakes to connect with Jesus and receive his blessings. So you guys, I got this really nice invitation recently from a friend of mine. He's a brother in Christ, goes to another church. He said, Ramsey, I'm going to do this thing. It's going to be really cool, okay? I'm going to practice aestheticism for 90 days. Oh, so that we can focus on God. All right, well, what does that mean? Well, we're going we're gonna to pray, and we're not going to eat sweets, and we're not going to drink alcohol, we're not going to watch TV, and we're only going to take cold showers. And I'm like, <laughs> no, 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 that's going to be a no from me, okay? Because like me and cold water, we do not get along, all right? I mean, I, for me, cold water is like, that's what you drink when it's hot outside. But my friend, he got a lot out of this experience. So he was with a group of like eight guys, and they, they tried to practice, and they did practice these strict disciplines, and they got together, they met weekly to pray together, talk about and focus on God, and they did confess, you know, when they messed up. You're like, oh, you know, today, the, a couple days ago, I raided the fridge and I ate a piece of cake. But some of these guys in this group, they were in there because they were fighting with addictions to like drugs and alcohol. And for them, if they're confessing to eat a piece of cake, like, that's a huge victory over and compared to taking a drink. And so over the course of the three months, my friend shared his experiences with me, told me about it, we talked about it, and he was learning a lot about himself, learning a lot about God, getting really close to his friends that he was making. But one thing that he did not do was pressure me he did not disqualify me for the fact that I'm not called to taking cold showers. He respected that. All right, back to the text. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Now, we just got done talking about aestheticism and visions and angels, these are really serious things. Um, but Paul is now saying that they're puffed up in their sensuous mind. Paul is clearly not a fan. Um, and that's just his, his preamble. Because he's saying, and not holding fast to the head. 
from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Because these people giving you grief, they're not respecting the head. The head is Jesus. Everything flows from the head. The body is controlled by the head. People giving you grief like that, that's like the kneecap yelling at the shin. It just really doesn't make any sense. Where the head is, where the, the brain is, thought, that's what controls and nourishes the body. And it drives growth. And that that growth coming from the head is godly growth. It's what growth, it's what God desires from us. Not what type of food or drink or what parties we throw or how disciplined we are about depriving ourselves of things like hot showers. So we're halfway through kind of where the passage is, and I just want to pause for a second and talk about a couple of these sort of big picture items and how they fit together with that. So in that time, the people there receiving this letter were kind of stuck between two great powers in the world. They had the Roman Empire on one side, and they had the, the Jewish establishment on the other. And with the Roman Empire, Caesar was the head. He was the primary. And so even to, to read in like a letter like this, the hearing that Jesus is the head, that, that's, a big, that's a big deal, a big switch away from that, because in the, the Roman Empire, they actually were very tolerant of many other practices and religions, just as long as they didn't challenge the, the primacy of Caesar. And then you've got the Jewish establishment on the other side that has the law, and they have a, a whole lot of traditions that were kind of built up on top of the law, very strict so I think that first list of things that he talked about with judgment, I think that's primarily coming from the, the religious Jewish establishment in terms of you need to follow all of these things. And then I think those items about the disqualification, that's coming also from, um, from some other people within uh, nearby within the empire who uh, have some other beliefs and things coming in. And, you know, I think there's some echoes here in the times that we live in, in terms of those, in terms of very similar powers kind of influencing us. Perhaps if you take the, the Roman Empire out, you can insert in or substitute in popular culture or corporatism or your favorite industrial complex. That fits into that space. And instead of exclusively the, the Jewish establishment, you might substitute in uh, the church, or the religious right, or megachurches. You know, for me, personally, I can't relate to either of those great powers very much. I don't fit in real well with the left or the right, or whatever dichotomy you choose. But I do get really wrapped up in the things that are happening in the world. And I do get really frustrated. I was actually having lunch with a friend from reality the other day. 
And I was grousing about everything that I think is wrong with the world, and, and she looked at me, and she's like, Ramsey, are you getting angry right now? I'm like, well, yeah. Well, she's like, don't do that. Anger causes inflammation. I'm like, what does that even mean? I shouldn't get angry because I might swell up. Um, and, then she, and then she's like, well, but you pray about it, right? Do you pray about it? Yeah. And then do you release that to God so that you don't have to keep carrying that around? You know, he can take care of that. I can do that? You mean I can do that? So for me, like, I need to set it down. I need to focus on Christ, and I need to just let him deal with all that because he is the head. But the point I'm making is that, of course I don't relate to the powers of the world because we're just in the world. We're not of the world anymore. You know, with, with Christ as the, as the head that we look to, we report to Jesus. All right, so let's move on. Let's get back into it. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Elemental spirits. Some other translations say basic principles or rudiments. Some say elemental spiritual forces. So yeah, we're talking about just sort of the way the world works, but we're also literally here talking about, you know, spiritual beings, forces, angels, demons, something else perhaps. But Paul's saying we already died to them in this world. We already claimed Christ. We've already been born again in baptism. Why are we sticking around? Those things no longer have authority over us if they ever did. Why act as if they do? Going back, why are we allowing people to, to judge us based on those things or disqualify us on, those, on other things? Why are we looking backward and submitting to human prohibitions and regulations? You know, the law, as given to the people of Israel, was mostly all about the things that they could not do. But look at what Christ taught and what he did while he was alive. He called people to be and to do great things. To love our neighbors as ourselves. To even love our enemies. Those other requirements, regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, don't do this, don't do that, prohibitions. But they're regarding referring to things that all perish as they are used, food and drink, even our own bodies. These things are temporary. They pass away. Seasons come and go. Months begin and end. Our salvation does not rest on such things. And now here comes the ending. Here comes the body slam, if you will. Next slide. 
These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Regulations, strict practices, self-made religion have an appearance of wisdom, but no real value. In fact, it's saying they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It's a bold takedown. I know for a fact that my friend would disagree about that in terms of it having no value. So why does Paul lay it out so severely? Because Paul believes that operating under human power leads to failure. Demanding that kind of rigor is a trap. Think about it. If you focus that hard on discipline and you fail, then you're just going to feel bad about yourself and beat yourself up over it. And if you focus on that kind of discipline and you succeed, now you're vulnerable to spiritual pride, thinking that you're better than other people or better than yourself was, that you deserve those own things for your own good. But either way, it's not the right way to look at it. Jesus is the one that's worthy. Jesus is the one that gives us the ability to do those things. You know, in my friend's group, they actually didn't take it, they did not take it to extremes or do that all the time. There were exceptions. For example, if your friend invites you out for ice cream, you should go. It's a good thing. It's a social event. It's a means to connect with people. And some days you're just going to have a day where you just need to zone out in front of the TV, and that's okay. Having forgiveness for that. And watching TV... Not that bad. They were not striving for absolute perfection. They were seeking connection to God by setting aside extraneous things in their lives. And that is a good thing. Because the extreme, going after the extreme discipline, that's indulgence. Paul in this letter is making a point about indulgence of the flesh, and that kind of an extreme is just another form of indulgence. So here's the bottom line, everybody. Don't let other people tell you that you did the wrong things, and therefore you're bad. And don't let other people tell you that you have to do this or you can't do that in order to connect with God. Those people are tripping. They're puffed up in their own minds. They're not focusing on Jesus as the head. Because he is the head and he focuses the growth and the growth that God wants specifically. And let me throw something else in here. It's not directly out of the passage, but it's biblical. 
You are who you are. And God made you who you are. God loves you who you are. It's okay that you're not perfect, which is great because I'm not perfect. But all we need to do is call upon Jesus. When we do and we accept that sacrifice, he makes up for the fact that we're not perfect. We're forgiven. It's done. It's complete. Getting back to the message, Paul would ask us, if it's already done, if it's already accomplished, why would we act as if it isn't? Why defer to people or bow to their restrictions if they're restrictions that Jesus himself doesn't put us under? Listening to the powers of the world, you know, it looks good, might make you look smart, you can agree with the authorities or the cool kids, but it's ultimately not effective because it's Jesus that has the power. Look, Jesus' death was a singularity. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he died the most horrible death as a sacrifice. And that sacrifice has infinite power to make up for and account for all the sins of all the people in the world if we just call upon that and accept it. Jesus paved the way for us. It's all about Jesus. Christ over all. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your people. Pray for the body. For those here and for those listening. I pray that we would continue to look to you as the head. I pray, Lord, that we would shrug off misplaced judgments and requirements. I pray that you would help us to hand over our worries and cares and let you tend to them. I pray that the body would be strong and healthy and united and that we would grow with the growth that you desire. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.